0: Welcome to the Benji Sklar Show. This is your host, Benjamin Sklar, and I have Jonathan Haber on the podcast. How are you doing, Jonathan?
1: Good afternoon, Benji. I'm glad to be on your show. Big fan.
0: Awesome. Well, for those listening, background on Jonathan, we met a few years ago in New York City. Thanks to my dear friend, Drew Levy and Andy Weiss and a few others. And Jonathan is a account executive, director of lending for a cool company called Cap Chase, which helps lend money to growth companies. I'll let him explain. And I'm excited to have him on the show today to talk about the venture capital ecosystem, startups, Judaism, and everything else. So let's kick it off, Jonathan. How's it going?
1: I'm ha- I'm happy to be here. And uh you threw in Judaism, I think that you have, if I'm correct, the background of the Kotel, if I'm not mistaken, you know, <laughs> as, guess- as uh, one of the alternates for, for your background. So it's good to be here right before Shabbat. Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into it. My background at CapChase, I guess, you know, you've made a brief introduction to what CapChase is. For many people who don't know what CapChase is, very young fintech company that is in hyper growth mode. Uh, been around for not even 18 months and we are direct lender to growth-based startups. We've raised about half a billion dollars um, in these 18 months. Um, and what we basically the value position proposition of what we offer to our clients is we provide non-dilutive capital. So most of the startups in the space who, you know, come to us, their alternatives is either venture capital, which obviously takes equity or venture debt, which provides warrants or covenants, which then eventually turns into equity. Um, we are a hundred percent not, uh, you know, taking out any equity whatsoever. Um, and the other unique proposition of what we do is that uh, we're able to fund our clients within 48 hours up to 60% of their ARR. So annual recurring revenue, for instance, if you make a million dollars a year um, and you have recurring revenue, we'd be able to provide up to 60% uh, in a credit facility. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of questions after this. If, if Feel free to, to interrupt me You know, if anything doesn't make sense. Um, but the unique, the unique factor of what CapChase does is that a lot of companies are pressured to take out more money than they necessarily need in a series raise or a uh, venture debt um, negotiation terms because it takes, you know, four to six months to get that money. Um, a lot of companies don't necessarily need that much money, um, but they feel that if they don't use it, they lose it. For us, if you get approved for, let's just say, a million-dollar credit facility, there's no fees associated with the money um, in your credit facility. The only fees that kick in is when you actually draw from your credit facility. So let's say, for instance, quarter one, you want to hire a new CFO, a new sales team that's going to take, you budget for like $400,000, you only incur any fees the moment you take that draw. And as we are synced with your company through API integration um, and you have a CapChase account, we can constantly underwrite your growth and keep on increasing the amount of money that comes to your credit facility. So it kind of becomes like automated financing over a period of time.
0: Fascinating. It's really innovative. But before I jump into CapChase, I want to talk about how you got into it. I know you used to work in real estate. How did you end up at CapChase?
1: Yeah, that's, that's also a good question and a good story. I, I ended up here by accident. <laughs> and um, I mean, really, I like to say I ended up here because of Hashem. <laughs> um, so my background was in real estate. Um, many people have known me in commercial real estate. I, I think that's where we actually first met was through real estate JBN through Andy Weiss, the Jewish Business Network, real estate um, networking events. Uh, I started in commercial brokerage at a company called Eastern Consolidated. And I'll kind of just make like the the short story of like what led to what. So commercial real estate um, brokerage led to acquisitions. Acquisitions uh, got introduced to prop tech services while we were a landlord. For a prop tech company, I got introduced to a VC, VC, uh, got involved in the consulting side. And then from VC... Uh, I learned more about PropTech overall. I actually was applying for jobs in the prop tech space. I wrote this thesis probably like six months ago about the, the significant amount of venture capital that went into prop tech. I think it was about $32 billion in 2021 that was invested in PropTech, which is the highest amount of um, venture capital in that space ever. Um, and so these are notable numbers, considering the fact that the entire industry was only valued at $20 million in 2008 um so within the prop tech space a lot of these companies were hitting hyper growth and i was applying for jobs at companies that recently raised series b's and series c's um and my thought process was like look like a company that has raised a lot of money obviously they have room to hire and um I have a real estate background i understand kind of like the prop tech industry i could be somebody who can leverage my network of real estate traditional knowledge and prop tech together what i found surprisingly was that most companies uh, were not ready to make immediate hires and they were saying to me this was about four months ago come talk to us in the new year uh talk to us in five six months you know we're figuring out how what to do with money most companies who had raised like a 50 million dollar series b never saw money like this. So they, they really didn't even know what to do with the money. Um, and they had to be very strategic with their hires. So um, I'm combing through different uh, job applications and I'm just looking through LinkedIn and I see this video um, by my current boss about this company called CapChase. It's like a 30 second clip uh, for this product called CapChase Earn. And it, it, was, it was like something along the lines of like this cute video it was like, just raised fifty million dollars, sitting on a bunch of idle cash. Don't know what to do with it. Why not earn three percent interest on your idle cash? You know, and put in a Cap Chase savings account. I'm thinking to myself like, that seems pretty smart. <laughs> you know, like that's the problem that every single company that I'm interviewing with is facing right now. Like they have all this money. They're growing. They don't know what to do with it. They're not hiring. They're not using it. You know, as working capital it would seem logical that any of these companies that raises all this money could put it in a Chase account to earn interest. And I looked up this guy. Turns out Andy Weiss was connected with him. Turns out Andy Weiss went to go see a movie with him uh, about 12 years ago called Step Brothers. And that was their only interaction. (laughs) And I reached out and I didn't know that until I got here. Um, But I reached out to Andy. I was like, can you put me in touch with this guy, Jonah Mandel? Like, Seems like a smart, interesting company. I looked into it. They had raised half a billion dollars in 18 months. That got my attention. I was like, that's a ton of money for a very young company. Um, and uh, they had just a simple breakdown of the products for the, the Earn account. Um, this line of credit, you know, it made sense to me uh, from a VC standpoint and from a startup standpoint, what the value proposition was. So I wanted to have a conversation and that's how I ended up here. know
0: i've actually connected with jonah mandel before because he reached out to me about forage because he was alibaba in sales and was interested in and using it so i know i know i know he's a vp of sales at cap chase right now or something like that
1: that's right so he had just started about like two months before i got here Mm -hmm. yeah he came from alibaba
0: So I'm curious about your product as a business. Do venture capital firms see you as competitors or more as partners that offer alternative financing solutions?
1: Um, I don't think we're in a competitive space, honestly. I think, so there's two use cases for what I've been seeing people be using Capchase for. Um, Use case one is bridge capital where someone is like in the process of going after the series a, um, and it's going to be five or six months till they get there. And they utilize cap to basically increase their sales productivity and their metrics. So by the time that the series a evaluation comes, they're at a stronger position for, for fundraising. Um, and use case B is after they raise the series a or B or C, um, the conversations I have with venture capitalists are look, like you have a position in the company and our and our whole business model is non-dilutive capital. So if we're able to fund the growth of your company, you're holding on to your equity. Um, I did not know this stat, but I think it's a notable one that statistically founding teams only hold on to 15% of their company by the time it's sold or or they go to an IPO, which is a very small percentage of you know ownership stake. Um, So the conversation I've been having with a lot of VCs is that, look, like, we can help you uh, protect your position moving forward and and avoid dilution.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. As a founder, you don't want to give away your equity. It's the last thing you want to give away. It's all you got. So Chase, I've, I've heard of competitors. I've talked to competitors, talked about the competitive landscape in the industry you're in, what's going on in that space?
1: Um, yeah, there's a couple of competitors. I would say that all of them have their own different um, take on things. We're all, I would say we're all in what's called the revenue-based financing uh, line of business. So what does that mean is that we're able to see your consistent um, annual recurring revenue and we we'll are be able to provide a loan uh, based off of that. Now, the loans that we're providing to the line of credit, I should say, is an unsecured line of credit. Um, so a lot of people on the lending side would see that that's fairly risky. Um, and the type of clients who were able to underwrite and kind of be comfortable in taking on this risk typically are in the saas space, software companies. So you'll see that there's a lot of companies out there such as like Pipe or Lighter Capital Clearco, they're all trying to go after this space because there is like pretty consistent recurring revenue. Um, but what I would say differentiates CapChase from the other companies, and I can't speak with expertise on, on them because I don't work there, is that for mo- the most part those companies position themselves as transactional you know, uh, products, whereas CapChase really is here uh, with a relationship-based product. So even though like, for instance, with Pipe, I know that it's a marketplace. So if you want to, you know, take out that line of credit or their or their, uh, revenue-based financing, um, you just put it in a marketplace and someone bids on it. And I know from customers who work with them in the past, they just basically a one-time shot at money, but that's about it as far as a relationship. Um, with Capchase, it's it's more of a partnership where Once you have that initial draw, you're partnered with a customer success team, which is I guess kind of like an investor relations type of team for lack of better terms, um, that actually helps you in the process down the road. So let's take an example. Um, A company starts with initial draw um, and that bridge capital helps them to uh, have a stronger evaluation for the series A now they have an excess amount of capital um, in their in their bank account, you know, millions of dollars in the bank that's just sitting there. Our our customer success team says, "Hey, why not park half of that in our CapChase Earn account, earn three percent on that, and that will offset the line of credit, or that will that will adjust the line of credit um, interest rate you have there and blend it." So, we have very creative ways in structuring our products with our customer success team, um, and that has provided, I would say, a very advantageous relationship with our clients um, in which they're now coming back to us for repeat business multiple times over multiple draws uh, within these 18 months.
0: What kind of interest rates are you charging your clients? It depends on
1: the size of the line of credit, but it can range anywhere for as low as six to as high as 10.
0: Nice. What about this job do you like?
1: I love the excitement of just dealing with founders all day. You know, they're, they're in growth phase. They're excited. This is their baby. Um, I've been here for, since the beginning of January, I've been working on six deals. And it's just amazing to me that like the speed that we're, we're working on, you know, like these guys, they, they, they complain to me that they're getting jerked around in the VC space or venture debt and no one's willing to take a, a call with them or to kind of follow up. Um, and go through this whole rodeo show. And I literally have seen it myself. Like we've been able to provide financing same day. Um, and we have very, very, very strong team underwriters, very smart engineers. Um, it's just, it's amazing to me that the speed that this company is operating, um, and the efficiency, um, the other thing also is like, we have very strict guardrails and strict guidelines as far as what we can lend what we can't with our profile. So. Um, when somebody comes to us, you know, and they're, they fit into our profile. It's like, it moves very fast. So that's very exciting. I like that. And also the team is great. Like I honestly came here, like we mentioned earlier from real estate background, no fintech experience, no finance experience whatsoever, but the people here, everybody is exceptionally smart. Um, and there's no ego here. Everyone is very humble. Um, and everybody's, is willing to take up. 30 minutes there a day, walk you through anything you need to know, whether that is the internal database, how we operate our HubSpot or a pitch book or, you know, all the sequencing for uh, our, our outreach, whether that is explaining, um, you know, all the products on the financial side, whether that's explaining um, how our valuation, you know, uh, is, is the way that it is. how we explaining uh, how everyone's stock options are working. You know, there's every, like everybody is willing to basically take time um, I get breakfast with the CEO, you know, once a week and everyone is, is very, very approachable here. So that that's really cool. And I think that's a unique thing for a company that's growing at this scale and this size. Like, you don't usually see founding teams that way. Um, you know, like our, the, the guys who work here really are, are really amazing guys. And I, I love it.
0: I believe that if you were the CEO, where would you lead the company?
1: It's <laughs> a good question should ask me that question like 6 months <laughs> cuz i'm learning as i go what are the company i mean i i think that we are on pace to are partnering with other companies um, in the space because the the business model of cap Chase is that anything that that money touches we want to be in that space um but the goal is to go public you know that's that's the goal
0: mhm if you were responsible for educating the market, all startup founders about CapChase's solutions, what kind of content would you be creating? Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned so
1: far is a lot of people don't even know what the problems in the market are until they face them. Like everyone wants to start a company, but no one has any idea what the pain points or objections are once they need to raise money. And creating some sort of awareness over what the problem is, um, and I'll give you an example. <laughs> I like I reached out to a friend of mine yesterday, um, telling him no, letting him know that I came to Cap Chase, and his wife, um, his wife uh, started a startup maybe five six years ago, and it, it's taken off to be pretty successful. So I was like, look, like I don't know, um, you know. I don't know if she's familiar with us i don't know where she is financially with the company but like be happy to talk to her and he was saying to me like oh yeah like i don't think they need money um they raised a ton of money recently like they're good on on uh that um but i'm happy to make the introduction and or to see if she's familiar with the company turns out like she's been working with a company for the past four months she pulled you know about a million dollars from us, you know, uh, four months ago. And he was shocked. He was like, I had no idea that like, you know, she was already working with you guys, you know? So that's, I guess the point that there's a big education gap as far as like the value, like the value of cap chase. A lot of people think that like I've raised money, you know, so I don't need to work with cap chase, but the unique thing that we provide is that, you know, like we're able to provide flexible capital, um, at favorable rates. And, um, it's a lot more seamless transaction than anything else in the marketplace. Like no one really knows. Like, I guess, like talk to our friends, like how arduous it would be to take out a a mortgage for a home, you know, like everyone is like, Oh, you need a mortgage to buy an apartment. But until you actually go through the process, do you know how like difficult it would be? And I think that's the same thing with a lot of founders, especially in the early gross phase, who just have like seed capital or like they're bootstrapping, like they don't really know what it's like the landscape. Um, so to educate people over like what the pain points on the landscape is, and then how we fall in the capital stack, I, I think is a, a big piece.
0: Yeah, I actually just got my first mortgage last month. And the mortgage banker was my wife's aunt, Harris Shilowitz at Wells Fargo, highly recommended. And I can't imagine working with a mortgage banker who I wasn't close with, could reach out to, text whenever I had questions. If they were just uh, a service provider who I didn't establish rapport with, it'd be really challenging. So I imagine all the founders really want good customer service from your business. Absolutely. That's a key tenant. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's so nice. let's change topics. I want to talk about Judaism. It's obvious that you're wearing a yarmulke. Why are you wearing a kippah?
1: Um good question. So I I became definitely a lot more from or religious uh during COVID. Um, that was like when I f- had this like spiritual awakening, I guess you can say that there's got to be something more to life. I remember once like COVID hit New York, I was listening to one of my rabbis speak, and he goes, Like the moment that you're able to be have peace of mind is the moment that you can relinquish control, and that's I guess the biggest factor of what Judaism has spoken to me um, in, in light of that, that you, you're, you live a life where you realize that you're not in control, but there's something that is in control that's much bigger than you, right? So like, I guess from like growing up from a secular perspective, I live life from the, from the viewpoint that I'm in control of everything. And because if I can understand it, it must be real. And if I can't understand it, then it must not be real, right? Like, and that's how most humans, you know, live life. You know, if they can logically understand things and make sense to them, they'll support it. If they can't make sense of it, then it must totally be false, right? Where Torah and Judaism comes in is basically saying that, like, there are certain things that you can understand logically, but there's a lot of things that you can't understand, but you're to do it regardless and with time you may or may not be able to comprehend the value of it but it is ultimately truth for example shabbos right like i think more than ever people are so like plugged into their phones and and plugged into like work and social media and seeing things that are happening they're just overstimulated and when people were celebrating Shabbos 500 years ago and there was no Facebook and there was no, like, uh, you know, Instagram, there was no Slack and there was no virtual reality or whatever. Um, No one was even conscious of these problems, right? But they said there's a line that they say is that more than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews, right? And so, like, for me, like, I couldn't totally visualize or understand what it would like to be Shomer Shabbat, But once I started keeping Shabbat, I really found that like everything else in my life has fallen into place. Um, You know, like it's just a total peace of mind and presence into into uh, the life I live. And I think we're talking about Chabad a little bit earlier, so I'm like obviously involved with Chabad. Like a lot of people are involved with Chabad, but like not a lot of people really understand like the foundation, the essence of Chabad. Um, And I spent about a year learning Chabad Hasidus every morning with uh, one of my friends who's, who's a rabbi. And the biggest thing that I learned is that like, Judaism is not about being religious, you know, um, in certain moments that you would categorize as religious, like going to synagogue or going to, or going to put out to fill in, like that's considered, you know, what people think is Jewish. Judaism is really about everything that you do in your life, creating a mindfulness and, and representing Hashem and godliness and everything that you do. So, um, That's a big reason why I wear a kippah, you know, like I go to work every day, you know, and, you know, uh, there's this idea that when you can represent Hashem, you know, in business, when you can represent Hashem in just walking the the subway, walking through New York, now you've actually revealed something spiritual in a mundane world. And I think that we are very much uh, overwhelmed with a lot of material and spiritual thing, uh, not spiritual uh, overwhelms with a lot of um, material um, things in our, in our life that ultimately don't bring real purpose. This kind of just like, it's, it's like, it's a rabbit hole. So that was the long winded.
0: No, that was know. really good. How did you build the courage to wear the Yamaka to work every day when you know, other people are judging you?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I actually like, so I spoke with my girlfriend before I decided to do Like, because I was wearing, okay, so like, I was wearing a keep at home every day and wear tzitzit every day. Um, and I keep full kashrut, you know, and I was going to Minyan, you know, every morning and sometimes Minfam Arif. And I was debating before I went to interview for jobs, do I wear a keep or do I not wear a kippa, Because there was a lot of these anti Semitic attacks happening in the city, you know, people it just, things are happening in New York. And I was like, what do I do? But ultimately what the Rebbe always said, Lubavitcher Rebbe was that like, when people are attacked in their Judaism, the one way to win over is if you double down on your mitzvot, quote unquote, you know? So that's why the, the mitz like the mitzvah mobiles that you see around, around uh, the city are called mitzvah tanks. Cause he, he, basically looked at the Chabad operation that every rabbi was like a foot soldier on a mission for Hashem and how do and I really believe this it's like how how do people um stand up to bullies they don't they don't crawl into like uh, a cave or into a hermit shell you know you're proud of who you are and that is the belief in Judaism is that not like not everyone in the world is meant to be Jewish, but everyone in the world is supposed to has a unique purpose, and everyone in the world should be proud of who they are. So, if you're Chinese, be proud to be Chinese. If you're black, be proud to be black. If you're Hispanic, be proud to be Hispanic. If you're, you know, Irish, be proud to be Irish. If you're Jewish, be proud to be Jewish. But, but don't conform to something that you're not. Don't assimilate to something that is that doesn't have like a real inherent purpose. Um, and. To be a Jew, you know, the Jew has, has a unique purpose that you're supposed to be proud of who you are. So wearing a kippah is, is very not just symbolic, but literally is a representation of, of who we are.
0: Yeah. I recently saw something on the internet that was challenging circumcision, and it really hit my core because I've always been told that it's what's right, it's what we do as Jews, and when, when I saw this and it was challenging my core beliefs, it really sh- uh, shook me. What are your thoughts on circumcision and its role in today's world?
1: It's not something I, I this is the first time someone's ever actually asked me this question. I think this goes into the, the, the thought process though of do we live a life that is logical to us or do we live a life that that there's something bigger than us so um i guess someone's from a logical perspective they don't believe in hashem they can say that like this is something that is an outdated uh non-necessary type of thing to live a healthy life and we have doctors and medication antibiotics or whatever Um, but from a spiritual perspective it goes into the the idea that there is something much bigger than us and there's there is there are things that we do that we don't 100% understand all the time but with a bris, i can i can still kind of like go into the specifics from a spiritual perspective so there's this idea in judaism that we have a material desire and a spiritual yearning right and there's like there's almost like two people there's like two souls within us that that are fighting against each other sometimes the spiritual soul wins sometimes what's called the an animalistic soul wins right and so from perspective of a from a like a physical you know uh, life that we live in oftentimes um, human beings have impulses and and if the struggle is to control the impulses so what the bris represents is that in that part of, 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 a, of a man's anatomy, you know, it's symbolic that you should not, you should be able to control your impulses. And uh, that's really what the covenant is, you know, um, realize that there's something bigger than, uh, than you. And in that exact place in the anatomy is also the same place for life. So. What can potentially be something that causes you to sin is also the same place where it can have the highest level of mitzvah. And that physical mark there is a um, a physical and spiritual recognition of of what the priest represents. Mm -hmm.
0: Really interesting. And I believe in the next few decades, just like abortion, gun rights, vaccination, there's a new wave coming of debate around circumcision in the Jewish community. The The piece of or the article I saw was from a rabbi who was writing about circumcision and challenging it. And I was shocked. And I believe that it's going to uh, arise in the. Next few years, and so stay posted. There's a, what kind of rabbi? Was it an Orthodox rabbi or no? It's definitely not an Orthodox rabbi, but he was a rabbi nonetheless, and it's very controversial. Challenges us to our very core, and that's why I like talking about it because it's so at the forefront of human progress.
1: Well, this is this is the
0: point that I kind of made as far as like
1: the Jews kept Shabbat Shabbat. Shabbat kept the Jews like there's always going to be in the history of Judaism there's always been people who've out outspoken on challenging things on Torah and that is what the reform movement basically started as but what you find in time historically over the thousands of years that that Judaism has been alive most of those groups who basically have their own interpretation of Torah fizzle out and assimilate into the masses and only like true like I guess, Jewish community that, that has remained over time is, is through people that believe the Torah is totally true. Um, you know, like you speak Hebrew, so the, the word for uh, truth in Hebrew is emet. And why is it emet, Aleph, Mem, Taf? Aleph is the very first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Mem is the very middle letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Taf is the very last Hebrew letter in, uh, letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so what does truth mean? Truth means that it remains true from ultimately the very beginning, the very middle and the very end. So truth will never change right and so if someone believes that they can they can turn truth truths with own reality it's like facts are facts you know it Torah says to do something now where there's an open interpretation to change things is if you don't ultimately believe that there's something greater than you that runs the world it's very logical for you to say like well it doesn't make sense to me so why should i live my life that way but i do believe to my point is how i got into this lifestyle is that that is probably the root of a lot of people's mental health. When people believe that they can control everything all the time and they're OCD about things that that creates basically anxiety and and broader issues that that we're facing today. I mean, if you look into, I think one of the rabbis I listened to said that statistically um, there are more people dying of suicide today on a global scale than diabetes. So That just kind of shows kind of like where mental health is today. Um, And when we have the iPhone or like uh, a lot of these new devices, which everything is kind of seamlessly within our control, people think more control means more freedom. But I would actually argue that too much control um, creates kind of like uh, a lack of a lack of peace in the mind
0: that makes a lot of sense and i agree with you i think it would be really healthy for our human race if we let go and we just had more faith and trusted god and and what our future held because there's a lot of anxiety in the world today around our careers our resumes our linkedin pages our our bank accounts and so Maybe religion would be a good platform to help society.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that a lot of the problems that we face today is that, um, you know, it's like God, I, the idea of talking about God is so taboo. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't say it. It's like you seem like you're a fanatic You talk about the idea of God. But ultimately, everybody has a soul and everybody wants to nourish that soul but because we basically eliminated god from the conversation they're trying to seek alternatives to try and fulfill themselves so you'll see it like in new york like people are going to like 90 soul cycle classes and they like have this new therapist with like this new medication and you know they're going to this new restaurant whatever and like none of that is going to fulfill them you know none of like none of these experiences are going to fulfill them like there's no end to uh things that you can do and people are wondering why you know like i think that was a big thing for me like when during covid everyone's in this this isolation and the question that a lot of I guess in Hasidus, in, in, in Chabad Hasidus, they ask, it's like, who are you, right? So that you ask someone, who are you, right? And they typically will say, my job. But what if your job doesn't exist because of a pandemic? So what if you're a performer or an NBA player, but there's no season or there's no concert, then who are you, right? And so like when you dig to the essence of that and you really like find out who you are, the truth is you're a soul, you know? And a soul represents something bigger than, your job and when people understand that perspective they're able to not like substitute those things for real life or, or eliminate them but go into those same things with a deeper sense and understanding of what is life about you know like life is not about making six figures or millions of dollars and and um you know like being uh you know in the in the head news of everything or whatever I mean, it'd be nice if this is you know gets a million viewers, but like that's that's not what life is about, you know. Life is really about, I think, um, enriching your life, enriching other people's life, seeing in real purpose. The question now becomes, what does purpose mean, you know? And I think Torah really kind of opens up purpose. Um, and the unique thing about, I guess, Judaism is that not the whole world is not supposed to be Jewish but we're supposed to influence the world that there is something bigger than ourselves. And while we have a, a unique responsibility to keep 613 meets votes, they just have to understand that there's a God and not to kill people. <laughs> and there should be a judicial system. I mean, that's kind of what Halakha says. So that I think is becoming eliminated in the world we live in. You know, people are like fighting the idea of government. People are fighting the idea of... Uh, just like normal things that, that I think keep society in order, you know, um, because subjectively it makes sense to them that that stuff, you know, should be totally wiped out. But when things go unchecked and there's no ultimate truth to, to guide people, then there is uh, a disarray. And that's, I think, um, the concern that a lot of society is facing.
0: That was so beautifully well said. Jonathan, two more questions. Sure. First question, if someone wants to reach out to you and talk about your your lending products, how can they contact you?
1: Sure. You can you can email me at jonathan.haber, H-A-B-E-R, at capchase.com. And uh, I will also put it out there, if anyone's looking for a job, like in finance or sales or engineers, like we are literally hiring 50 people by the end of 2022 so um, if they're interested in learning about fintech I, I put it out on my linkedin i already had like 30 people reached out to me about potential jobs like i'm happy to talk to anybody about you know what we're doing um, in the space and educating them you know i will be honest like there's a huge learning curve being here like there was not like a formal onboarding process but i think if you're somebody who's just naturally curious and you're willing to work hard like you can be successful here because uh, there is the people here that always want to help there just isn't like the <laughs> like the typical corporate structure of like okay like this is what your first month is going to look like here like every day is different maybe you so, start yeah. that well i um, that's part of like what i'm doing here I'm, I'm helping build that out right now with our sales team um and our business development team but um yeah, there's a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of room for, like, opinions to, to you know, make the company stronger. And uh, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. You know, just message me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Haber. Um, so email or LinkedIn works.
0: Awesome. All right, Jonathan, last question, my signature question. If there was one thing you could do to improve this world, what would you do and why? Uh, I wrote this down. I think I alluded
1: to it. I think I spoke a little bit about it earlier, but I, I really believe life is not about looking for uh, looking good or impressing other people, but it's really enriching lives. Um, so much of a lot of people, and I, I really believe, I mean, I'm not, I haven't mastered this, but I think I, I was subject to it a lot earlier in my life that I really just cared a lot about like, am I successful? You know, do I look successful? Do, do, am I, am I considered... Uh, successful in the eyes of peers or other people and it's all ego and when you realize that your ego is the very thing that like is inhibiting true success I mean your ego can take you to become monetarily successful but it won't make you fulfilled you know and so when you're able to accomplish something without the validation of others but really for what you want internally it's it's it brings ultimate peace and um yeah that if i could change the worlds so that people are not judging themselves based on other people's lives but really understanding that like their unique life is given to them specifically from some something above and they're here for at this particular time at this particular year 2022 there's no accidents in life There's no accident, you know, that I am having this podcast. with you. Everything has a divine purpose as to where we are at every moment. You realize and can appreciate what you have. um, And you don't start seeking things that that are not yours and lifestyles that are not yours. You really are able to say like, yeah, like, you know, Hashem, God picked me, you know, to live in this life at this time. And it's a true blessing. And when people can understand that, we're a new reality.
0: Oh, Amen. I thought that was incredible. I really enjoyed this this episode talking about Capsource startups, Judaism. Capitalist. Yeah, that's what I meant. Cap <laughs> Capsource is another company. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been really insightful. Any last words? Uh, how can I help you? Oh, oh, you can help me by sharing the chop up version of this podcast.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we might need to make a couple edits because I don't know how long I was going on for things. Oh, no uh,
0: edits at all. It was really good. Seriously. Yeah.
1: Now, Benji, I really appreciate it. And uh, I know you're out in the Hamptons, but, you know, we got to link up for coffee or go paintballing or whatever. 100%. Come out here.
0: Just take the LIR.
1: Yeah. It's only what, like an hour and a half ride? Yeah. Easy. All right. Well, Well, we'll schedule something maybe when it's not 10 degrees outside. Sounds good. All right. Take care, my friend. Moshalom.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode with Jonathan Haber. If you enjoyed our conversation, please leave a review, a comment, or some love. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. See ya.